0: sidelines. He has not stepped out. He may go all the way. He needs one block and he'll do it easily.
1: Promise Mess I wouldn't do this.
0: McDavid stops up. What a move. Shoots. Scores.
1: Hey, welcome to The Outsiders, powered by the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City. It's Podcast 82, and we're into season number three, and we figured we got to go back to some familiar voices and familiar faces, guys that know the Hockey Hall of Fame inside and out, and Eric DeHatchik joins us from California today. How you doing down there?
0: Really good, you know. The only bad thing about being in a place like this, Bryn, is it's so nice out. You you kind of want to get out in the sun and enjoy it, and and then you got to think, eh, but I, I got to work, you know. <laughs>
1: so work is getting in the way of my good time. Did you even remotely look at the forecast in Calgary and Edmonton today before you said that?
0: I absolutely did not. Are you good. Having... don't <laughs> okay? Well, isn't that a isn't that a f-
2: familiar lament over the years? by any hockey writer from the province of Alberta when they get down to some place like California?
0: (laughs) You know, you know what, Robin, I would tell you this. So when I was traveling with the Flames for those 20 years, we traveled with the team. We always stayed at that Marriott at LAX. And sometimes, you know, in January and February, the temperature would be in the forties Fahrenheit. And it wasn't really all that warm and it wasn't really even all that sunny, but my gosh, I was at the pool every day, no matter what. Sometimes you'd be the only person there, and if there was anybody else there, it was either somebody from Canada or somebody from Minnesota. But when you're in California, it's going to be California weather, even if it isn't. So you're 100% right about that.
1: It's Hockey Hall of Fame week, the induction ceremony that was pushed back a full year because of COVID. First and foremost, let's talk about your involvement with the Hockey Hall of Fame. You've, you've, been, you've been involved in various ways. Including being, you know,
0: so so from 2004 to 2018, I served on the on the selection committee, which you know elects the you know the 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 main classes, and uh, and that was I've I've said this before, but that was one of the most challenging, interesting, stressful. Days of the year because you're locked in that room at the Hall of Fame. You, you know, you, you it's a very serious matter, and you're in there with a lot of very strong-willed, opinionated people. And the discussions, which you know, we're not allowed to discuss what happens in those meetings because of these confidentiality agreements that we signed. But I can tell you it, it it's it was so interesting at all these different takes because everybody that was in that room was there for a reason. And so I do think there are people that that sometimes look at the process and think it's easy and, and I can from from being on the inside that it isn't it's really complicated and, and mainly it's because you know to elect somebody to the hall of fame you need to get 14 of those people to vote for the, your for the candidate so if you're picking someone you and, and it's one of those kind of on the fence maybe yes maybe no kind of candidates you have to be very convincing you have to prepare a ton of research and and sometimes, sometimes you win and sometimes, sometimes you don't, but it, it was fascinating. And I, and I would have loved to have stayed on, but they institu- instituted term limits during the period of time that I was serving on the committee. And and, and honestly, I, I believe that's a good thing because it keeps the committee fresh. So, for example, you know, when I graduated off, Cassie Campbell passed my place. And, and also the year that, that I was up my term was up, uh, sadly Bill Torrey passed away and, and Mark Chipman uh, came on the committee. So you know there's a little bit of churn there every year and and, and it helps because you get new voices in there fresh perspectives, keeps it up to date. So that part is is really good and then and, and then separately, I also chair the Elmer Ferguson committee. So every year there's a luncheon ahead of the actual induction where where a, basically a writer and a broadcaster go in. Uh, as the uh, as that year's Hall of Fame class in in our specific um, categories, and so I was. They were lucky enough to be elected in two thousand and one in the writers category, and I've chaired that committee since two thousand and four. Jim Matheson from Edmonton is the scrutineer um, for that election, and this year Tony Gallagher from the the, the Vancouver province, uh, after a long wait, uh, is being uh, honored uh, as we speak. So, um, so, sorry I wasn't able to be there. I, I normally am, but you know there's a, a bunch of reasons some professional some personal why i'm not there this year but um uh, but uh, but yeah i i mean I've, I've loved my association with the hall of fame and, and i really you know i mean yeah it, uh, what can i tell you I, uh, my only sort of sadness is that you know because this was mcgill's year and he's being elected today i mean i covered him from the day he arrived in the nhl until the end of his career with the kings and uh it feels kind of bad not being on site uh, to be able to watch Jerome speak in person. But, you know, I'll watch it like a lot of people on television. I...
2: Now, Eric, you mentioned the Elmer Ferguson and plus, the you know, the broadcaster awards. Uh, Bryn and I were just wondering if there had been something lost in in the mail over all these years. I've changed or... my number
1: four times. <laughs> Uh-oh. I get it. I understand completely.
0: <laughs> uh, well, Robin, I can only speak to your candidacy because the, the broadcasters have their own separate uh, method. And and, uh, and honestly, like I, I do believe. like So, well, let me, let me speak to this uh, since you raise it. Um, when, when I when I was asked to take over as the as the chairman of the committee, um, in those days, if you looked at the, the precise definition of it, uh, which was calculated or formed in, in the in 1980s, it was a newspaper writing award. Bill Hay was the chairman of the Hall of Fame during that period of time. And about halfway through, this came up at one of our PHWA meetings, I raised a point and said, I think we need to amend the definition of the of the writer's award simply because, there's an awful lot of people that are entering the industry right now that will never write for a newspaper. And and so mm-hmm. we need to broaden it so that it is a hockey writing award. So Bill considered that, thought it was, you know, something that needed to be done, brought it to the hall of fame board of directors. They agreed. And so if you look at the definition today, that's what it is. It, it, the award is for distinguished service to hockey writing and that encompasses people who write for websites, people who write books, um, you know, the, 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 the the job is still the same, but the platforms have changed. Right. So, and and so you know, so I, I think we're we're and the Hall of Fame agrees that you know we have stayed current and and are on top of it. And I would argue that the broadcasters should, in my opinion, broaden their perspective too. Because when when their award was first introduced, it was it was the Foster Hewitt Award. So it really yep. just went yeah. to play-by-play guys. So radio play-by-play television play-by-play, play, but that was it. And they, they've changed it over the years to include color guys, but I think broadcast journalism has also changed dramatically from when I entered in the industry. And for sure, there was no such thing as the sports panel. So I was on one of the first ones, which was the, the Hockey Night Canada hot stow that Don Shannon pioneered. But now you you look and whether you're watching, you know, the ESPN Uh, the new ESPN panel or the new TNT panel or, you know, the the hockey night changes it constantly TSN has a panel sports. I mean, everybody's got a panel and and, and there's great work being done by these people. So I I, I think, I mean, I think Dave Hodge is, is, is a hall of famer. I think James Duffy will eventually be a hall of famer. So, you know, and I've said this to Chuck Caton who, who runs their committee that, that I believe they need to do what we do and, and sort of, Broaden the perspective a little bit, and and to to uh, to widen it to people who aren't exclusively presenting the game, but but who are analyzing it and who are contributing to broadcast media, um, you know, in, in in really important ways.
1: Can, now, can, sorry, Robin, go ahead.
2: Now, on a serious topic, because <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, you you I know you you can't talk about specific situations, but with all your time uh, on the panel there, uh, it sort of does play into this year, even though you uh, you know you're you're now out. Uh, Kevin Lowe, long time to wait. What changes in the perception of the Hall of Fame? Uh, What plays into a situation where a guy who sat there for a long time and has frankly said, I don't think I'm going to get in and I'm I'm okay with that, uh, to
0: him finally uh, getting the call? It's it's a great question, Robin, and I actually can answer that because it deals with process rather than specific uh, uh, internal discussion. And and what I say to people simply, and, and I made a reference to her, to it earlier in our conversation, is that the, the Hall of Fame selection committee is not a static group; it's a it's a fluid group, and 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 so it, it changes constantly. So if if you look at when Kevin was first eligible until the time that he was elected there's probably 12 new faces on on the selection committee. So if Kevin, you know, for the sake of argument let's say you know he keeps coming up a couple of votes short or four votes short or five you know you need to get to 14 so you, you know potentially you could have 13 in a year or 12 or 11 and come really close and not get in and then the committee changes and and maybe a couple of no votes rotate off and a couple of yes votes rotate on and and different people are evaluating these classes year after year after year and so that to me is the single thing that is constantly overlooked. By people, and, and it bothers me a little bit because this is really about simple math. It's not that complicated. But if if you look at the composition of the committee when Kevin first became eligible, which was three years after he retired, until and then look at the composition of the committee in the year that he was elected, and those those things are a matter of public record. You can find it on the Hall of Fame uh, website because because everybody that served on the committee is identified there. Um, you can you, you can add up the numbers. I, I don't know specifically, but I I, I would guess at least 10 or 11 different people voting in in 2020 when when Kevin was elected compared to when he was first eligible so that's the that, that's the the main reason and, and it applies to the people like you know Glenn Anderson had to wait a long time Eric Lindros had to wait a long time. I mean you know the perspective of people on the committee change uh, changes and 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 the, the you know the, the the biases that we all bring uh you know to the committee you know, come with us. Right. And so, um, you know, maybe a couple of people didn't see Kevin as a hall of famer and a couple of new people did. And, and that's the difference. So, uh, you know, as I say, it, it's, um, it's a, it's a matter of process and, and, and that, and, and I guess my final thought on that is that, you know, I know like in Calgary, people are saying, you know, Will Theo Fleury ever get in? Will yeah. Mike Vernon ever get in? I, I, my thing is never lose hope because you just don't know. You just don't know. Uh, Rogie Vashon, I think. How long did Rogie have to wait until he finally got? In? I think it was thirty plus years. That you know that. And so it it there, there's hope for for everyone, especially those players that are maybe yes, maybe no in a lot of people's minds.
1: Got to take a look at the uh, the the group that's going in this time around. We've talked enough about Kevin over the last two weeks here, but let's start with the uh, the group that's going in. And I'm going to kick off with a guy that's close to you, as you pointed out, Jerome McGinley, your thoughts on Iggy and then the rest of the uh, the the established and uh, distinguished group going in.
0: Well, you know, I mean, I I I wasn't there to vote for Jerome McGinley and I wish I was, but I'm pretty sure he didn't need my vote. And again, I don't know how it went, but I would be shocked if it hadn't been a unanimous vote. Yep. I mean, there are certain players where, you, you know, they just, it's like a flashing light, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame. And if you look at all of the stories on the day that McGinley retired, I think everyone had a, you know, no brainer, mortal lock, whatever term you wanted to use. Uh, for Jerome McGinley, I mean, uh, you know, to me, he was just so important. He did so many things. I mean, he was he was a dy- you know, just look at look at his game, right? So he's he's a classic power forward. He he played hard, he played tough, he was trash talking, mean. You know, hockey is a physical sport, and, and Jerome McGinley was one of the most physical athletes to ever play it. But then he played it at, at such a high skill level too. So you know, we scored all those goals, got all those points. Um, you know, rose to the occasion internationally for Canada. Uh, twice. I mean, everyone, you know, sort of wants to share memories of it. again. Like, you know, I, I could tell you twenty things, uh, um, but but I think of, you know, I think of the two thousand and two Olympics. You know, when he and Joe Sakic and, and Simone Gagne, that was a Canadian team that started slowly and built and built and built, and by the end of the tournament, you know, when it really mattered in that gold medal game against the Americans, you know, that line scored the all the goals that mattered, and yeah. I think you know, they had four points, and, and Sakic had three, and you know, people in Salt Lake City standing up to sing the Canadian ad, national anthem with a couple minutes left in the game. I mean, that was pretty that special, was pretty huh? Special. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then Vancouver, right. And I was in the building for Salt Lake and I was in the building for Vancouver and you're you're writing on deadline and the game is in overtime against the Americans. And, and you know, you're, you're, as a writer, you know, you have to imagine the greatest victory of all time or the most crushing defeat of all time. Both those scenarios were right there um in, in Vancouver. And then, you know, Sydney calls, cries out Iggy's name, again hears him, makes that pass. You know, Crosby beats Ryan Suter out of the corner between the legs of, of Ryan Miller. The building explodes. We gotta, you know, have your lead done in, in 90 seconds. I mean, it's it was just, you know, all these different emotions go through you. You know, you get your professional skin on while you're pounding that out. And then afterwards, as a Canadian, you think, wow, that was really something. So and then, you know, you leave the building after working and people are celebrating in the streets. I remember talking to, you know, Steve Eisenman about the pressure of being a manager of that homegrown Canadian team. And and just about, you know, it's funny, so many of the people afterwards, I said, was it was it relief or was it, you know, joy? And and everybody answered the same. It was a bit of both, you know, because we didn't want to lose that game. So, I mean, he was just he was just such a, a really great player on the ice and, and such a wonderful human being off the ice. I mean, I'd leave the, the Saddle Dome sometimes an hour after a game, after finishing my stories, and again, would still be there, you know, people waiting for him, signing, smiling. I mean, he's just, you know, all those sort of, small acts of kindness, you know, booking a hotel room for Calgary hockey fans that had driven down to Salt Lake city and didn't have a place to stay and just quietly going about, you know, in a room because there were no rooms and paying for it. And, 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 and no one would have ever heard about it except the fans themselves made the story public. And there was just lots and lots of examples of, of that, just a really fine human being. And that, you know, I mean, I think for all of us, that's, that's the thing probably that counts the most. Um, great player, great person i'm I'm just very happy for him and i'm looking forward to to hearing what he has to say because he we asked we talked about this so you know he said five or six minutes what do you say and i said well you know i said you can't thank everybody in five or six minutes otherwise it's just a recitation of names so you know say what matters to you you know and thank the people in your inner circle and and everybody else in the second and the third layers of 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 familiarity will, will understand you know um you know why you might not have been able to name drop everybody
2: well, being a good guy is not why you get in. No. But it certainly makes a lot of people smile when you do. Uh, you talked about Jerome being there for an hour after. I remember missing a bus because the story had to be turned upside down because of a change late in the game. Mm-hmm. The bus was gone. Jerome comes out and as you know, Eric, he was he was he had that little Porsche mm-hmm. and He had his, I don't know if they were married yet, but he had his wife to be with him. And he says, Robin, do you need a ride back to the hotel? Well, I'm not a diminutive guy. (laughs) And and he kind of looked at me and smiled, but he was willing to make it work. And as I was about to drag my crap over to his car, another reporter came out and said, hey, I'll give you a lift at school. But there was Jerome after a game in the parking lot saying, you need a
0: lift? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly, and, and and the thing about it is, so now, now we're talking about the broad picture. You know, the the industry right now, and the perception sometimes of players in the National Hockey League isn't great. And I and I, I do think that you know that, that we we may not talk enough about about the you know the good people in the game and the good things that they quietly do behind the scenes. And that's that's another reason why I like Hall of Fame because it really does give you kind of a break from a lot of bad news that's going on in the industry right now. And, and just celebrate the people who made a difference in a positive way, because there are those two.
1: Robin, we don't have Eric for a ton of time here. You've got the long list of the inductees going in. Let's just get uh, some quick thoughts on off the, the list there for, uh, for Eric here.
2: Yeah, Eric. I mean, if you could just give us your Coles notes on, uh, you know, we've got Kim St. Pierre, we got Doug Wilson, uh, Mer- Marion Hosan, of course, uh, We've got uh, the old goaltender, Kenny Holland. And yeah. uh, uh, your thoughts on the rest of
0: this class, what stands out for you? Well, I mean, uh, you know, I have a, a little bit of a relationship with, with a number of those people, including, uh, I'd like, so I got to know Ken Holland at first, after his playing career, when he was, when he was just, just an, an amateur scout and he, he was in Calgary all the time because he was based in Madison and he was sitting at that table in the media room, Robin, you've been eating there. And, you know, you just, you know, we have, how many times we must've had dinner in those days. Cause you, you know, you would join them and, you'd, you know, you just talk and, and I was always struck by him because a very quiet guy in, in the early days, the very young Ken Holland about how. How smart he was about the game, and so you know, watching him, you know, rise through the ranks in Detroit, and then and then become the manager he is. I mean, you know, he's again a, a very thoughtful, considerate, smart guy, and um, you know, and and I never forgot his roots, and so I I, I always just liked him because because he, you know, he he would always return your calls wherever he was at whatever level he was at. He would give you straight answers. He wasn't trying to, to dodge you. Like sometimes you could have a half an hour conversation with a general manager at the end of it. It's like, I don't think I learned anything, you know? So, and that was not the case with Ken Holland. So I, I, I applaud that decision, I, I think. Not every NHL general manager belongs in the Hall of Fame, but I think he's one that that does. But Kim Saint Pierre. I mean, I, I did. I mean, I covered women's hockey at uh, starting at the Olympics in, in Nagano during the lockout in two thousand four, two thousand and five. I was in Linzha Um I covered the World the Women's Worlds in in Sweden and um, in two thousand and five. And 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 I, I should double check this before. But it seemed to me that they didn't win the tournament that year. Uh, but Kim St-Pierre I I don't believe gave up a goal in in regulation and and there was like I remember vaguely writing about how can you lose a tournament and not give up a goal in regulation throughout the whole thing but she was just a phenomenal player in her own right Um, you know probably the you know I mean you know Shannon Sabatos is going to come along pretty soon and 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 you 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 might have a, a different take on it, but certainly for the that generation of players, she was clearly the best goaltender in the in the world. You know, Doug Wilson again, very stylish, slick. You know, Daddy. great great defenseman in, in both both ends. I mean, you know, everyone talks about you know the points, and then he had those things too. But he was a he was a solid defender. I just I just think he was he was a guy who was very quiet as a player. I think that might have uh, uh, worked against him. Uh, a little bit in terms of, of how long it took for him to get to get to the hall of fame, but he, but he was just effective, you know, and, 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 and somebody that, you know, put up a, an impressive career over a long period of time. Uh, you know, Mary Hosa, he's the one guy I didn't really, I haven't had a lot of contact with. He was always very approachable, but you know, Robin, you know, once or twice a year, right. You, you thought no more than that, but you know, if you think about, um, you know what it takes to win in the NHL, and the and the need to play a 200 foot game, the need to score important goals, the need to just play responsibly when a coach calls them. You know, I, I just think that a player like Marian Hossa is the kind of reliable guy that any coach in any era would turn to when you're trying to get a goal in the final minute to to get it even or to defend a goal in the final minute when you're trying to put a game away. He was just, you know, he, he just checked so many boxes as a player. So I think it's a strong class myself.
1: Hey, before we let you go here, I got to, Robin and I were just talking before we launched today and we are talking about the, the, and there's so much talk of it here because of Conor McDavid getting hauled down frequently because he's going by guys frequently. And we're talking <laughs> about the officiating and whether or not they're over managing games. I actually feel a little sorry. For the officials in the situation they're in with the Edmonton Oilers, who are scoring at a fifty percent clip, at least uh, very close to fifty percent clip, where if you give them a power play, you're almost always, or at least half the time, giving the Oilers a goal. That is, a, that's got to run through these guys' brains as they're as they're refereeing the game.
0: I mean, you know, that's possible. I, 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 I I'm, I'm almost always like whenever the discussion of officiating. Comes up. I, I almost always have a lot of sympathy for them because it was something that I tried to do on a very small level a, a few times. And you realize, you know, you think you're the smartest hockey guy on earth sometimes. And you go on the ice and you put on the skates and you're trying to referee a, a kid's game because the re- regular referees didn't show up, or somebody got sick or, or whatever. And you realize, wow, this is really hard. And then you take it up a hundred notches to the, the level that the NHL is at and the, the split second decisions that the referees have to make. Constantly, time after time after time. In fact, I, I I did something for the athletic where I work now on the state of NHL officiating going into the season, um, which was very much all, you know a little bit of a defense of how difficult the process is. But having said that, I agree with you. I, I watch the orders a lot, and and I do think at some point it's not like you're putting a Connor McDavid rule. You just have to enforce the rules that are on the book right now because he is getting booked. He is getting slashed. And I remember it was a referee. I think it was Billy McCreary uh, who one time told me that the hardest thing in officiating is when it's half a penalty. And I said, Billy, what do you mean? What's a half penalty? He says, a guy comes in and he he, he kind of taps a guy. You know, does it cross the threshold of a foul, or is it just just short enough? And and he, and he was trying to make the point that there is gray and there is nuance and it's not always as black and white as people from the outside believe. And, and I thought that was a great point because it's true. You know, you, you look at a play and you can sometimes even see the, the official has got his hand halfway up and he brings it down because in that precise moment, he has to decide yes or no. Um, so again, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of defending the officials, but in the, in the case of McDavid, I think you can put together a highlight pack. I think the networks do all the time about all of the plays that he makes where he's fouled and, and the calls aren't made. And I think that they just have to flat out start calling those plays.
2: Well, and, and part of the thing with McDavid, and you, you're you old enough to remember, Eric, um, it's, it's not that he's a big, strong winger. There's lots of guys in the Hall of Fame who are there because they could – let the puck come from the wing. Guys who would not be moved from the front front of the net. Uh, different ways to to score those goals and produce those points. Outside of Pavel Bure, I don't recall anybody who was a, a point producer who could change direction like McDavid can and go from zero to full speed like McDavid can. And that's part of it. It's almost like, as the kids say, a cheat code. It's almost
0: not fair trying to defend him within the rules, isn't it? Well you're 100% right but but then you don't change the way you call the rules you know you just have to you have to live with it i mean it, you know and and you articulated it very well there robin but i think that that is something that that the nhl has to has to look at the next time they send you know a memorandum around to the officials because they do that they always you know their work does get reviewed um, you know, you know there are directives that that are issued from time to time. Points of emphasis is what they like to call them, and I, I and I do think that that enforcing the rulebook. If if he gets fouled ten times in a, in a game, and if he draws ten penalties, then call them because in, inevitably what ends up happening is that players do react, and if if you know you're going to get called. But because you know David just you know flew past you and and you have to put a stick on him to try and slow him down. Then the next time he's going to fly past you and and you're 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 going to pull the stick back because you know you're going to be in the penalty box. And and that I think you know when we think about okay how how good can Connor McDavid be? Um, and we've talked about this I think before too. Will he ever get to the point where he's distancing himself? from the rest of the NHL pack in the way that Wayne Gretzky did, right? So even though Wayne Gretzky played with Yari Curry and, and Curry had all those points, you know, during the height of his career, he was still 70 points ahead of everybody else. And I've long believed that that at some point, even though Leon Dreisaitl is there and he's a fantastic player in his own right, that, that McDavid will eventually do that. But it won't happen until until he gets more calls and until people start having to back off because those, you know, those little hooks and holes and slashes and everything else that they're getting away with now, they're not getting away with anymore.
1: Thanks for your time today. Great. As always, we always love chatting with you. We'll have to uh, reach out to you early in the new year and then we can talk about all the other stuff, but this was great today. Appreciate it.
0: Uh, All right. My pleasure guys. (laughs)
1: Well, here we go. It's the month of November. As expected, things are starting to slow down on the real estate front, but I got to tell you, it's actually going pretty good. I was chatting with Brent McIntosh at the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City just the other day. He's off on a little bit of a trip to Europe, but he actually, as he headed out of here, said he's really surprised at how busy it's been through the month of October and now gaining a little bit of momentum into the month of November. November which is great news. Now, perhaps you're still looking for a home as we head into the festive season. Get a hold of Brent and any of the team at the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City. They'd be happy to help you with the sale of your current home or maybe the purchase of your next superstar. All you have to do is give them a call at 780-464-0075 or ca. Start the process with a complimentary evaluation of your current home. No obligation at all. But uh, you know what? Give them a shout. Don't let the market pass you by. Both buyers and sellers are more than welcome to give them a shout. The Macintosh Group at REMAX River City. Once again, that phone number 780-464-0075. Or you can find them at McIntoshGroup.ca and tell them The Outsider sent you. So there you go. Another edition of The Outsiders with me, Bryn Griffiths, and him, Robin Brownley. Eric Duhatchik always brings it, does he not? Absolutely, man. Eric's uh, been
2: on top of the National Hockey League for as long as I can remember, specifically down in Calgary, and nothing has changed.
1: You know, and the thing, too, is that, and it's funny, because when I lived in Calgary, I, on a couple of occasions, uh, met up with him for dinner, and it was so much fun to sit and talk about the Battle of Alberta days and everything that he had witnessed and uh, to to kind of compare notes, it was uh, it was a great great experience for me to have those uh, those get-togethers with Eric because he has seen the game from so many different angles and uh, always has a great take on it, Robin.
2: Oh, absolutely! You know what's funny, Brent? I'm smiling while you're talking because, uh, and I don't want to age uh, the hat uh, beyond his years, but. I remember sitting at Memorial Arena in Kamloops when I was covering the Blazers, and sitting with Ian McIntyre, who's now at Sportsnet uh, and has been on the beat forever. When you go back to his time at the newspapers, right. and Ben Kuzma, and I was sitting there talking about, man, I hope we get our chance to go to Edmonton or Calgary and get to the, the next level, the big market. Yeah, And it was like, oh, well, yeah, but the Journal's got Jim Matheson and <laughs> the Herald has Eric DeHatchik, so no chance. So it looks like we'll be covering junior hockey for a while. That conversation was had more than once, and here we are talking to the hat today. I think it, it, it's terrific. Well, it's
1: funny you should bring that up, because I was doing games in the Western Hockey League in the late 80s, and, of course, the dream is always to get to the national hockey, just like you just pointed out. However, then you looked across the country. I, I don't know if Jim Robson was still in Vancouver. Or he probably had just left. Huey probably just got in there. And you took a look at Edmonton. Rod Phillips wasn't going anywhere. Peter mm-hmm. Marr, another Hockey Hall of Famer, not going anywhere. You took mm-hmm. a look at Winnipeg, Kurt Kielbeck, not going anywhere. You just went all across the country, and you went, okay, I'm a Canadian, so I'm not going to cross the border. So what are my chances of actually getting to the NHL? Not very good. So as much as I love what I'm doing, I better maybe try to find a different way in the door. And I decided it was time to get back into just doing regular sports casting and having some fun on morning shows. And that was the direction I went. But it's exactly like what you were talking about. The chance to move up when you had guys that great was pretty minimal.
2: Ah, sooner or later, though, we fooled them and got there, but it took a while.
1: Yeah, it did. Uh, let's talk about a few other things here. Uh, let's talk about the Kevin Lowe events. And uh, I thought the city did a fantastic job. I've had a week to kind of to kind of uh, immerse myself in it a little bit. And the uh, and more I think about it, I thought it went exceptionally well. And, uh, and that was great. The city looked really, really admirable. They do a great job of putting on special nights here. And uh, that was another one. So it was pretty, pretty spectacular. I know that Kevin's had a little bit of time to think about it before his induction week this week at the Hockey Hall of Fame.
2: Yeah, you know what? It's, it's uh, you know, it's terrific for him. Like we talked about with Eric, um, with Kevin, uh, with Jerome McGinley, with all the inductees. I mean, it's special uh, on every level you can talk about for each and every one of them. We have more contact you know, with Jerome because of playing in Calgary, Uh, you know, maybe a little bit with Doug Wilson and in his later years as a, as a manager, certainly know him as a player, but uh, you know, it's, it's, it's still a special week, no matter what's going on. uh, It seems to me like it's special because it's, to me, it still means something, the hockey hall of fame call, because while you can, debate every single choice, you know, over the years, if you really want to get picky, that's still a pretty tough ticket to get. If you ask me.
1: The other thing too, that I want to touch on is the fact that we've had a rather sizable couple of events in the city of Edmonton over these past few days. I I was fortunate enough to go to the Canada Costa Rica soccer match for the men's team in front of 49,000 fans. The atmosphere was spectacular the team played okay in the first half played very well completely dominated as far as i was concerned in the second half and now taking on mexico who's one of the you know one of the the cream of the crop i guess so to speak when you take a look at teams around the world they've fallen off in recent years but mexico's always been one of those countries you've got to be very careful of they come in here wounded after losing to the us on friday down south in ohio and now they're in edmonton getting ready to play in what will be Interesting weather conditions at Commonwealth Stadium. We'll talk about that in a second. The other thing, too, the group from FIFA is in town, and they are kind of wandering around Edmonton, checking out hotels, checking out the facilities that the athletes are going to have to deal with, looking at security. There are a few security issues at the game on Friday night, fans running out of the field. That will not be happening at the Mm -hmm. World Cup level. But uh, the other thing that they're going to be taking a look at, and the other thing is fans. You know, when you get 49,000 fans out on a chilly night, I'll be curious to see how many show up on Tuesday. I'll be one of them. But uh, this city is going to come through this with pretty much flying colors, as I know Toronto will. The only thing that is disappointing me, and I'll vent just a little bit, I get a little tired of the elitism that comes from Vancouver and Toronto when it comes to soccer. And why why are they playing games in Edmonton? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One, the stadium is a huge size. People in Toronto and Vancouver say, yeah, but the pitch is pure shit. It's, just, it's awful. Well, guess what? If uh, if they're going to acquire World Cup soccer matches in Edmonton, you'll be seeing them playing on a grass field. So the pitch yep. isn't going to be a problem. The security will not be a problem. Getting into the stadium will not be a problem. The only issues that they might have will be traffic issues around the uh, the stadium and around the city if there's a World Cup event going on in Edmonton. But every city's got to deal with that. The only thing that just bothers me and irritates the crap out of me is there's there's nobody's nobody's got a God-given right to host games, especially with a national team, in their specific city. The fact oh, they're moving the right. team.
2: You're <laughs> wrong, Brent. It's got, it's got to be in Hogtown. Uh, yeah,
1: exactly. That's it. To me, it's the Canadian men's national team. Huh. There's no reason they can't play in Winnipeg. No reason... They can't play in Halifax. It's important if you want. This is the same problem we have in our country in general, where regions find ways to dismiss other regions, and there's a reason why the country is somewhat fragmented. Yeah. So I just wish people would put that away. The games were determined to be played in Edmonton by the Canadian Soccer Association. They were. They they thought it would be an interesting challenge, and it's going to be uh, by the looks of it on Tuesday night. But I just uh, it just it just tires me to hear that same bitching and whining from the east and over there on the left coast. Yeah, <laughs> it's important to have games in Vancouver and Toronto, but it's also important to have games in Edmonton. so shut it. <laughs> Anything else we should be talking about? Anything that's hey, been I, a hot I button? You, where did I, Where did I see the streaker? Uh, that well, the the most notable streaker of late that I remember seeing would have been at the Heritage Classic, and that was a long time ago. That no, guy was pretty was, agile. This was at a, an event this weekend. Oh, you are you talking about the guy, the guy in Edmonton? That yeah. was that was on Friday. Hey, listen, if you're wearing your underwear, that ain't streaking. That is my
2: point. People kept referring to him as a streaker, as somebody old enough to remember the golden age ah. of streaking. <laughs> yeah. If you got if you got the boys covered with your underwear, you ain't streaking.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like the, to me, at the Heritage Classic, if you are sans any type of clothing and you're diving over top of signage, uh, that to me, is a, that's a real streaker because there's two things. One, it's cold out, so uh, everything changes just a little bit. And then you're diving over razor-sharp signs with everything hanging out. That, yeah. to me, shows a lot of balls. Okay, well, fa- <laughs> yes, let me rephrase it. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I saw the word streaker used, and I went, no, it's just a, a nut guy that just peeled off his pants and his shirt and just ran. I was, that was, you know what, okay, so I know security is not going to be an issue as we move further, but I was embarrassed because I'm thinking, we can't even streak. We can't even streak properly. How brutal is that? Anyway, I, I was
2: I was impressed when they kept referring it to it as a streaker and I was watching videotape on Twitter yeah. and I was thinking, man, they're doing a really good job moving along that little black box to cover everything as he runs. It <laughs> yeah. wasn't a black box. That was the guy's gaunch. So there you go.
1: Hey, I know we touched on uh, the Oilers and the Flames briefly, but uh, with the current teams, more of a chance to get our opinions out. The Edmonton Oilers just keep finding ways to win. Yeah. There's all this criticism about Miko Koskin and their netminder, yet he's 9-1 and one on the season. And uh, I know that, uh, to me, Craig Avish summed it up beautifully, I thought, on, on Sportsnet the other day. He says, what are you worried about this for right now? They're winning. You might want to be concerned about it when we get to January February and yeah. trade deadline time if you don't like the, the consistency of the netminder. But right now, don't screw with a good thing. You're winning. You you know so just keep rolling along, and let's see what happens when the other big guy gets back.
2: Yeah, you know what I, I'm with you, and, and for years, you know this, Bryn, Uh Fans of the Oilers, you know, call it the dark, uh, the decade of darkness, whatever. The, the gory
1: years, I call them the gory years. There
2: were there were a lot of mornings, and, and we're getting them again. And I call it the yeah but crowd. Yeah, but. the Oilers would lose, and fans were left looking for silver linings and consolation prizes. Oh, they're on a 10 game losing streak. Yeah, but their course is good. I know. Uh, Or, well, they're just unlucky. And you know what? I got no time for that. The bottom line, They lost. I'm not saying there's no mitigating factors, but when you get to the bottom line, if you avoid talking about, hey, they lost, you're looking the other way. Same thing now. If they're winning, which they are, and you're still, oh, yeah, but uh, their five-on-five scoring is blah, 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 blah. Uh, If they didn't have a great power play, blah, blah, blah. You know what? Yeah. They're winning. It's the same thing. It's the opposite side of that coin. Why are you going to criticize a win? Take it and go. Yes, there's room for the details. The devil's in the details, the old saying goes, and you can't look the other way. But that can't, all the little yeah buts can't be forefront in your mind ahead of the fact the team is winning. Last time I checked, the most important thing is wins and losses? Please correct me if I'm wrong.
1: And the other thing too, what's wrong with just simply enjoying the game? Watch it, enjoy it. You don't we we have this want and need to uh, to break games down. Why not just watch it and have some fun with it? That was not a perfectly played game in St. Louis the other night. Whoa, but no. you, but you know what? It was fun to watch. Hey, listen, we're we're, we're tight for time here. Uh, we want to remind everybody to check us out on Twitter. The handle's really simple. It is at outsiders 2020 make sure you tell your friends to subscribe or follow us and our rss feed on any of your favorite ear candy sites like apple google spotify pocket cast etc etc and we're also on youtube as well and while robin is recording from his luxurious studio in the deepest part of southwest edmonton i'm at the road 55 studio in downtown edmonton doesn't matter where we are snow is in the air and we uh, greatly appreciate your support and thrilled to talk to anybody who is uh, interested in jumping on board with us as well. And finally, we get bigger and better, and it's growing and growing and growing thanks to the support of our listeners. And over the last few months, it's been very noticeable. So the real key is keep retweeting to your buds. Simple as that. Yeah. Okay, they're making it down the hall in the studio. There's a lot of noise going on, but that's, uh, that, that's fine. It just says that things are getting busier and busier, and I like that. Robin, thanks for your time. Great to hear from Eric DeHatchik, too, today.
2: Absolutely, man. Talk to you next time.
0: Bye-bye, boys! Have fun storming the castle!